Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. My name is Daniel Markin, and uh, welcome back to the program. Today we have a awesome conversation with Erin Ford, who works with Power to Change. She writes for the Gospel Coalition Canada, and uh, we're talking about abuse and forgiveness. Well, Erin, it's good to have you here on the show. Thank you for spending time with us and entering into discussion with myself. Erin, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about who you are, where you came from, you know, what's your story? Yeah, that's good. So my name is Erin. I live in Guelph, Ontario, which is kind of like a smaller town about an hour outside of Toronto. And I work for a Christian ministry in Canada called Power to Change Students. And so I'm the editorial manager for our blog across Canada. And I've been on staff with them for about six years. Um, I am recently married. I grew up in Barrie, Ontario, predominantly to a non-Christian family, although I had some exposure going to church like Sunday school as a kid, going to some Christian summer camps. And so I actually became a Christian at a Christian summer camp and had Christian friends in high school. And then I got involved with Power to Change students when I went to university. I went to the University of Guelph. And um, yeah, now I work in ministry. So I also am in seminary part-time working on a master's. So that's fun. Where where at? Heritage. Heritage in Cambridge. So, yeah. So my husband also works on staff with Power to Change students. So we're both in ministry, um, do a lot of ministry with international students and national students in our city. Just, yeah. So. Hey, you're newly married. How did you and your husband meet? Yeah, we actually met on staff. It's so funny because we um, both went to the same university at the same time, but never met because we were in different Christian clubs. So my husband is actually from Hong Kong. So he was raised in Hong Kong, and so he's Cantonese, and he was involved in Asian Christian Fellowship at our university, and I was involved with Power to Change students. So he actually joined staff with Power to Change when he graduated, and so we worked together. Um, He was a photographer at the time, and I was doing journalism, and so we were paired up to do interviews on different missions trips and conferences, and so we developed a friendship that way, but we got married um, October 2019. And it's been an interesting year to be married or just get married during COVID. Um, we've spent probably probably almost every day together, 24-7, working from home, working together. It's fast-tracked our first year of marriage. It feels like we've been married for three years. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely brought us closer together and strengthened our marriage for sure. We're so thankful. So. Oh, Absolutely. I wanted to uh, kind of begin with that and start with something light because we do have a little bit of a kind of a heavier topic that we're going to be talking about today because we're talking about abuse and then we're talking about forgiveness uh, and much of this coming through the story uh, that you are going to be sharing kind of about uh, your life and some of your experience. And so why don't we start there? If you can tell us a little bit about your background and the story of abuse that you have have come through. Yeah, Yeah. So, um, I grew up in a smaller family. I have one sister and my dad was always addicted to alcohol. So that was his kind of main 
main issue, although he probably also has some undiagnosed mental health issues as well. And, um, yeah, he was, he was really abusive. My parents divorced. They separated when I was five, divorced when I was six. And he was really just a really angry and I would say like really tormented person. Um, and he was really abusive, um, verbally, mentally. So like mental, like psychological abuse, emotional abuse, and really controlling basically thought, you know, like he was always the victim. The world was out to get him and really struggled with the fact that, yeah, he didn't have custody. So we would, so I basically grew up spending every other weekend with him. So that, that those were his visitation rights, which is pretty average for a divorced family. So my mom had full custody. We would spend every other weekend with him and really like in the context of those weekends would experience a lot of emotional abuse, um, mental abuse, a lot of over the years, intimidation, manipulation, um, and honestly, things that at the time, like obviously as a kid, you don't know, you don't know how to process what you're experiencing. You just kind of go into survival mode. And so I, I did that. And for me, um, you kind of know something's wrong. Like I think kids, they're so intuitive. Like kids know when something's not right. And so I kind of always knew like something is not right here. I never felt like I could really fully trust my dad, but I loved him so deeply. Like I was first born, totally a daddy's girl, wanted his approval. And I think what also shaped my childhood, and it's really common for people who experience abuse are like, you can't fully see the situation for what it is when you're in it. I think when you see someone who's in an abusive relationship on the outside, it seems so obvious. And you're like, what is that person doing? Like, why are they doing this? Or why are they in this relationship? Or why are they allowing this person to treat them that way? But for the person on the inside, so for myself, like, I always assumed, okay, well, next time's going to be better. Or, you know, he's, he's just feeling X, Y, Z. And the next time we have a phone call, like, it's going to be better or whatever. But it never was. It just over time got worse and worse and worse. And, um, he just grew angrier and angrier at life. And I think when I was 16, um, I mean, lots happened. We had a restraining order and he wasn't allowed to come see us. Sometimes I would talk to him on the phone and, um, he would just be so angry all the time. And it was just, it made me angry. Like when I was in high school, like I, I just felt angry. Like I knew like yeah. something was wrong, but eventually when I was 16, we had this really terrible phone call and it resulted in him kind of like off the cuff threatening to like kill us with a gun, which was crazy, wow. like just totally inappropriate. And I think once that happened, my mom kind of stepped in and she was like, okay, we're done. She was always like, I want to support you. You know, if you want to have a relationship with him, I want to try and be a supportive presence and be a help and be an aid, but also maintain those healthy boundaries. And so when that happened, it was like, okay, line has been crossed and we need to pull the plug on this. So I, I was done. We reported it to the police. We didn't press charges at the time um, because I just had a lot of anxiety about, so when you press charges, you have to appear before a judge. And I was 16 and I was like, I'm not doing that. It just was way too intimidating for me. 
we agreed, okay, we won't press charges. If he makes another threat, we'll press charges, but we just reported it. Yeah. And then basically that kind of started my healing journey. When I went to university, it wasn't until first year university when I actually realized that my childhood experiences were abusive and kind of God started that healing process in my heart through like several years. And I've spent like half my life in counseling. So yeah, I've, so I would say my, my experience with abuse is mostly in the context with my dad and, um, yeah, kind of growing and healing after since I've been 16, I guess. Wow. That is, I mean, thank you for sharing that. And I can't imagine what that was like, um, growing up. You picked up on something there that is you wanted to have a relationship there, but it seemed like, like it was one-sided. Like there was this, you desiring to make this relationship work, but his, you know, whether it was mental health or just this abusive tendency, just to not want that at all. Yeah. Let me ask you this then to just clarify, if you were to define abuse, how would you define it? But then I want you, because you mentioned this healing process, can you explain then define what is forgiveness? And maybe we can kind of go that way. Yeah. So I mean, really abuse, like a really, really basic definition is when, whenever a person treats another human being or an animal with cruelty or violence, especially when it's repeated, like it's not just one time, but it's an ongoing thing. And so I think a lot of people, when they hear abuse, they think of physical abuse first. And I think that's the, one of the most obvious signs of abuse is domestic violence, which unfortunately is is a huge problem in Canada, especially during COVID. I think the rates of domestic violence have increased families being trapped at home, really, which, I mean, I, th- I think about COVID and I'm so thankful to God that it's happening now in my life and not when I was a child. I couldn't imagine being in that kind of an unhealthy situation. But so that's one main type of abuse. There's also obviously sexual abuse, which is also prevalent and common as well. And then there's like the psychological or emotional abuse, which I think was more of my experience. And that's harder to identify because the person who's often being abused is like, it's not very obvious sometimes. It's kind of more subtle, can come out with like manipulation or coercion or threats. And then there's also financial abuse where you kind of control a person using money and they don't have any autonomy or freedom. And then there's like, obviously like modern slavery, like human trafficking, which is obviously abusive on several levels. And then there's discrimination. So racism, which can also be viewed as a form of abuse. So I would say there's a lot of different levels and types of abuse, but I would say that the psychological and emotional abuse can be more probably really prevalent, but hard to identify. So yeah. Well, especially because it becomes normal and that's just normal life. And a lot of people like you can think about you growing up as a kid, be like, well, that's just my relationship with my dad. That's how things are, right? Some people have really happy dads. I don't. And little did you know that, wow, you're in a, an abusive relationship there. Yeah. And little did I know that I didn't have to be. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, like my mom, you know, in doing the best she could, gave me a lot of freedom to make decisions about what I wanted. Mm-hmm. But as a kid, I almost didn't even know what I needed or what I wanted. I have thought about this, like, oh, would it have been better if I had never had a relationship with him or if my mom had kind of prevented that earlier on and maybe, but I also see how God has really worked through it as well and taught me a lot. And 
gives me an opportunity now to like speak out about it and talk about it and share my experience and kind of share kind of the process that God has done in my life through it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't necessarily regret it, although it had huge ramifications for my life. So yeah. I mean, you'd probably say you wish it didn't have to happen like that, but now when you on the other side of it, you see it and you're, while wow, God did use that, right? And his, and his sovereignty allowed that. And yeah, and he was very present it. in the midst of it, very present mm-hmm. in the midst of it. And I see, honestly, I see acts of grace. Like I see what I experienced as a kid and I'm like, oh my goodness, God's grace prevented so much more. Like you think about abuse yeah. or you think about sin or brokenness and you're like, wow, it could have been 10 times worse. So I'm like thankful for what it was and not what it could have been. So there's that element too. But I really like your question about what forgiveness is, especially in light of abuse. It's like really hard or even just regular relationships. It's really hard to kind of wrap our heads around like, what does forgiveness actually entail? It seems like this really great idea we see in the Bible and it's like, okay, but what does that actually mean? And I think ultimately this definition that I found of forgiveness that I found helpful was that it's a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person who has harmed you. I kind of picture it as like, I kind of like sitting on one side of the room and God sitting on the other. And what this person has done to me is kind of this like huge boulder, this huge rock in front of my face. And it's kind of oppressing me and pushing me down. And forgiveness or surrender, letting go is like me like kind of pushing it over towards God for him to hold instead of me it's releasing those feelings of bitterness and vengeance and resentment towards that person that has hurt you. And I find it's really helpful when I think that forgiveness involves several things. So the first thing is that involves confession, which is acknowledging what that person did before God and agreeing that it was not okay. So when we confess our sins to God, we acknowledge what I've done before God. And I agree like that was wrong. Like I confess that what I did this sinful act or this thought or whatever was wrong before God and it wasn't okay. And so I think when we forgive, we need to acknowledge that whatever happened wasn't okay. It was wrong. It wasn't just personality or wasn't just, you know, whatever like that. We have to confess that it was wrong and also surrender. So we push the pain of their sin or abuse over to God who carries it for us on the cross. And I know we'll get to that later about the role of the cross in this process. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, like letting go our desire for vengeance, which is ultimately kind of that eye for an eye. I want to get back to the person, what they've done to me, and we need to kind of surrender that to the Lord as well. And that's, I, I really appreciate those uh, definitions. Also, the um, the confession piece, I have never thought of that. I've often thought about sin like a grenade and people who are caught in their sin, the grenade goes off and it hits everyone around them. Oftentimes, we just think about our own sin and how it affects others, but also, if you're the person who the grenade shrapnel has hit, we are to forgive those who hit us with the shrapnel, understanding that we are in a sinful world. That is a sinful, broken person, even if they're a Christian, right? There's still brokenness in, in this world of sin. And that this is something that we are, that that's not an option in the Christian life. That forgiveness isn't something that you can choose to extend to some and choose not to extend with others. Because I, I want to share this passage as I was preparing. And it's Jesus teaching how to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Now I'll start reading in verse 7. He says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, right? Uh, so there's that forgiveness piece. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And oftentimes we'll kind of close the Bible and we'll say, that's the Lord's Prayer. Isn't, isn't that nice? But when you look at verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In other words, as a Christian, forgiveness is not optional. Yeah, I agree. It's also here we see that forgiveness is also conditional. Like God's forgiveness of us is conditional in our willingness to forgive others. But I think what makes me feel hopeful about that is that God does not leave us on our own power to like have to, like we don't have to forgive other people based on our own power. God through his Holy Spirit empowers us to actually forgive others. It's actually the work of Christ in me that I can then forgive. So it seems like this really intimidating thing where, okay, well, if I don't forgive people, or if I feel like I can't forgive people, is God not going to forgive me? And that can seem like a very workspace righteousness approach, where I think more it's like, no, no, like through Christ in me, like through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can actually, I receive a new heart, I receive a new self, and I actually have access to God's power to forgive on his behalf, not on mine, on my own behalf, like, I don't want to do nothing. Totally. You want justice. And and sometimes we think that justice is, well, I want that person to stew and, and feel the brokenness that I feel, right? So I want them to feel that. And part of forgiveness is understanding that, you know, even if we don't see it in this life, justice and vengeance belong to God. And God will actually do what is right in the end, right? He will judge them for those actions, which in one sense is is terrifying. We should, we should be praying for those people to, to see their sin, but it also brings deep peace. He will judge the living and the dead, but that actually brings peace to the believer because we can just give it to him. Like you said, that, that rock, you just give it to him, say so you deal with it because you will deal with it better than I ever could. Yeah, and I think with justice, there's two ways justice can be accomplished. So there's justice on earth, like Mm -hmm. through our justice system, which actually has a lot of biblical foundations in it, actually. And so I think we can always pursue earthly justice if possible. Now, sometimes the person who has abused us has died and we can't pursue justice because they're gone. Or sometimes it's impossible because you were attacked or something, you don't know the person, or there's all these different circumstances. But I think on earth, we are to always pursue justice of having that person held accountable for what they've done and and entrusting justice to our court system, which hopefully is fair and righteous. But ultimately, there's also like an eternal justice where God will hold everybody accountable for what they've done. And I think you're right. It is super sobering. I, I don't want anybody to spend eternity separated from God because of their actions. But I also want people to be held accountable for what they've done. So I, I think about someone like Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, he's dead, you know, from whatever reason, if it was himself or someone else. Yeah. I don't That's know. That's another what, podcast. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what that conversation was like between Jeffrey Epstein and God. Yeah. But I know that God will hold him accountable for all of the abusive and inappropriate things that he did. Now, I don't know yeah. where he is now, if he's with God or not. But 
I know that God will hold him accountable. And I think that even though, unfortunately, his victims or the survivors did not get to hold earthly justice, there is an eternal justice. And ultimately, vengeance is in God's hands. And we are to never, ever bring closure on vengeance. So vengeance is like, oh, I want to pay that person back. I would say justice is a bit different where I want that person to be held accountable for what they've done. Vengeance is like, oh, you hurt me. Like, I want you to be hurt. Yeah, vengeance is like a a personal vendetta against the person. Justice, I think, is more, you want things to be made right. To be made right, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah that's a great way to say it. And I think that mm-hmm. it's, I mean, only God is able to forgive even our sins against him because justice was perfectly fulfilled on the cross when Jesus died in our place. So it's like on the one hand, well, justice has already been fulfilled on the cross. And so God is a God of true and perfect justice. And like you said, that gives a lot of peace because I don't need to feel like if I put my faith in Jesus, I don't need to feel scared about you know my interaction with God when I see him, when I die, because Jesus' blood purifies me and has paid the price for me. But he also invites us to trust that one day there will come a day when God will bring justice and vengeance on our behalf when Jesus returns and ultimately defeats Satan and demons and evil forever which will be a great day of celebration, but it is not today yet. So I just am really encouraged by Romans chapter 12 because Paul writes that beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And then he actually says on the contrary, like feed your enemy, give your enemy something to drink. We are actually to love and serve even our enemies in trusting that God will enact perfect justice. And yeah. It brings a holy reverence. So I'm thankful for that. Totally. Well, we're coming to the kind of the close here of, of our time, but I have one last question. And you, you mentioned earlier about like, sometimes justice seems impossible. Sometimes we get justice in this life. Sometimes we don't, but sometimes it feels impossible to forgive someone. Could you please share with us? What do we do when it feels impossible to forgive someone? How, how do we begin to even begin to do that? Yeah. I would say with my dad, for so many years, it felt impossible to forgive. I think I was just where I was in my healing journey. I was processing a lot. And I think forgiveness, it can be a very long-term thing. And it's not just like a one-time decision. It's like an ongoing, everyday decision. I really love actually in Mark 9, the doubter's prayer. So Jesus is interacting with this father who was a sick child. And basically the father proclaims to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so that's considered the doubter's prayer. And I really think we could apply this to a heart struggling with forgiveness, praying like, Lord, I want to forgive, help my unforgiveness. Like we're really asking God, change my heart to a heart that is willing and wanting to forgive this person. Sometimes we need a heart change of even desire. It's natural to not desire forgiveness That's our natural human state. And so it is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to have a heart that wants to forgive. And the reality is, is that forgiveness comes at a deep personal cost to ourselves. And it's incredibly painful. And I actually think that the depth of the pain of forgiveness is in direct relation to the depth of the pain of the sin against us. So when the sin against us is really deep, like forgiveness feels really hard. And actually, I wanted to add something about just what forgiveness is not, because I think this is really helpful. And I I found this with my dad too. This was really true that forgiveness wasn't tolerating. Like it wasn't saying what that person did was okay. 
And it wasn't forgetting. It wasn't like forgetting what happened. Like, oh, okay. Like I'm just going to sweep it under the rug and pretend like it didn't happen. And it's not minimizing. Like it's not minimizing how we feel and it's not minimizing the action done against us. And it's not repeating behavior. So it's not saying, oh, I forgive you, but yes, please keep repeating your behavior towards me. Like that's not what forgiveness is. And what, what was, what is true of my dad? And I can be honest about this is that forgiveness is not relational restoration. They're totally different. So I can choose to forgive my dad between me and the Lord and between me and him, but I have no desire to have a restored relationship with him at this point. So as far as I know, cause I don't talk to him, but as far as I know, from what I've heard, his life has not changed. He is still the same bitter, angry person, if not more so since the last time I've interacted with him. So on this side of eternity, I may never have a restored relationship with him unless by some miracle, the grace of God. Um, but that's okay. That's not necessarily a requirement of forgiveness to have that restoration. And I think that's really important distinction. Sometimes people say, oh, I really just want you to forgive me. And what they mean is I want that relationship back to what it was. But sometimes it's impossible because there's consequences to sin. And a huge consequence to sin is broken relationship. And sometimes it takes a really, really long time for that relationship to be restored. But in the process, we can still choose to release those feelings of anger and bitterness towards them and choose to forgive them. And so when it feels impossible, we can actually ask God's help to forgive, which I think is so powerful. You know, for God to forgive us, it came at such a deep personal cost. It literally cost Jesus his life on the cross. There is a death involved when we forgive um, and there is a cost. And so I think that's intimidating. Um, It's painful. It should be done over a long period of time. It's kind of like a daily thing. And there's not a timeline. So Jesus never says we need to forgive somebody in 10 minutes or even in 10 years. Um, I think it's a process and it's messy. And it's a heart posture, right? It's a it's a heart posture of forgiveness. Even if the emotions don't feel there, it's, Lord, I'm giving this to you and I'm doing my best. Yeah, it is a heart posture. And it's only a heart posture that the Holy Spirit can provide. It's not something we can muster up on our own. And I think when we release that to God and kind of just accept the fact that on my own strength, I'll never be able to forgive. That's when God can step in and we can see him at work in our lives in a really powerful way. So it's, it's definitely fruit of the spirit. hundred percent. Well, Aaron, listen, this has been an amazing conversation and we could probably keep going, going, going. We're going to have to definitely have you back on the program. We really appreciate your time and thank you for joining us. Yeah, this has been so great. I can't wait for next time. Thanks again for listening to this episode of In Doubt. Join us next week as Erin and I continue the discussion. And if you want to find any more of her resources, it's at her website, which is erinwrites.ca. And that spelling is E-R-I-N-Writes.ca. And you'll find all of her resources there. And again, tune in next week as we continue our discussion on forgiveness and keep exploring a little bit more of Erin's story. We'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hi, Ben Lowell, CEO of Back to the Bible Canada. You may not be aware, but InDoubt is a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. 
Our effort is to effectively reach out to young people, engaging them in the Bible as it speaks into the real issues of life, faith, and culture. I also wanted to mention that on Sunday, September 27th at 5 p.m. Pacific, Back to the Bible Canada, including InDoubt, will be hosting a live video event called The Gathering, featuring Dr. John Newfeld and Phil Calloway and musical artists Brian Dirksen, Stephanie Redekop, and Shane and Angela Weed. We're hoping you'll join us. Check it out on the InDoubt Facebook page, or for more information, visit indoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S.